Hi, everyone. Um, the Torah portion this week is Vayigash, which is when Judah steps forward to Joseph and tells him that he, he will be a slave in Benjamin's stead, at which point Joseph can no longer restrain himself and bursts into tears and says, I'm your brother, Joseph. We'll say a blessing for studying Torah together. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher kichanu b'mitzvotav sivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. I want to let you know, and I'll let everyone who comes in later know um, that next week we're meeting, the 16th, and then I'm going to take a winter break, taking a bit of a vacation. I'm not sure yet which week in January we'll start up again. So I'll try to figure that out by next week. And the reason is, as I was explaining earlier to the, to the early birds uh, here, is that I have a ticket to Israel, um, but I bought the ticket after November 1st when Israel opened its borders. And then uh, three weeks later, they closed their borders again due to the new variant. And Israel will announce sometime in the next few days whether they're reopening or not. So all of that depends on, so I'm either going or I'm not. So I don't know how long I'll be, I don't know how long I'll, I had planned a longish break, but it may not be. So just wanted you to know, that's why I don't know what date uh, we'll be starting up again yet. Excuse me. We were talking before we began class about uh, our current woes as a society, which are severe. And I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, there may be, I, as a baby boomer, I grew up in a golden age um, of peace and prosperity, despite the Vietnam War, despite all kinds of stuff. Uh, there was a sense of stability to my world. And now that stability is gone. And going, 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 it's not gone, but it's going, going. It's both because of political instability. It's because of COVID, which has worn us all down to the nub. Um, and it's because of climate catastrophe accelerating. We are really under duress, each one of us and all of us. And I think we need to say it aloud over and over. So now we've been on, now we've been on COVID um, uh, protocols for uh, December. 21 months, um, almost two years. It's like, what, how? And I know that it gets, it doesn't get easier. It's, a, it's like adding a whole layer of stress and strain to our daily existence that is really wearing. <sighs> so I've been thinking what to do because this isn't a situation where I can say, come on gang, let's fix it. Right? There, is, there are forces, there are, there are forces going on that are so much beyond our control right now. So, and yet the, I've been thinking the message remains the same regardless of the circumstance in a certain way, which is we need to be brave. We need to be kind. every chance we get. And I've been thinking about it. It's like, this is not a real, this is not, I can't reassure, I can't offer any reassurance anymore. Can't offer to you, to myself, to my kids. Could get better. Right? That's not looking that way based on the human track record. Um, and yet, so what are we gonna do? Crawl under a rock as Leah was saying before? It's like, that's, that, that, I know the impulse. I certainly do. Um, so the Torah portion actually speaks to this 
moment. Yes, Abigail says we need to laugh more. Anything we can do, anything we can do. Notice all our blessings. All we have been practicing for now, right? This is what our practice at spiritual, uh, at midot, at attributes of personality in Hebrew um, that we wanna cultivate. We're cultivating, we're cultivating them for this moment, right? The, the tough times. And so, yes, let's keep reminding ourselves, keep reaching out to each other, keep being kind and being generous. Oh, that word generous has been in my mind. <sighs> yeah, maybe the opposite of fear is being generous and don't even worry about love. You know, rather than do this, let's be generous. So that word generous has been in my mind also. So in this week's Torah portion, we have an incredible moment of the best, the best of humanity. Um, uh, in that Judah, who is faced with the possibility that his father will die of grief if this vizier of um, Egypt keeps their youngest brother, um, says, take me instead. And so I thought we would look at the text. And I just want to talk as we, again, the first word of this Parsha is Vayigash, which means, and Judah approached. He approached the bench. He approached the throne. He approached. That's what Vayigash means. So think about the courage it takes to approach the throne and speak passionately. Um, and uh, that's the kind of courage I want us all to remember. Um, and uh, I'm gonna say a little more about Vayigash, which some of you will remember. The classic commentary in Breshid Rabbah in the uh, Midrash about Vayigash is that the word Vayigash and he approached or and she approached is used in three contexts in um, uh, Torah. Vayigash, in order to plead or pray. You approach in order to um, uh, fight. It's, it's, it's to pray, to fight. And what's the third one? Um, I have it right here. Hold on. The Midrash says, um, oh, to pray or to make, to appease, to make peace, to reconcile. So it says that Judah approached Oh, and to confess, thank you. Uh, Judah approached ready to do anything. It, he, he, he approached ready to be, to fight for Benjamin's life, to plead for his life, to forgive, to, um, and, uh, uh, and so let's look at the text. I wanna read the story with you. Um, so at the end of last week's portion, Judah says, what can we say to my Lord? How can we plead? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered the crime of your servants. They've been framed by Joseph. If you recall, Benjamin has been framed. And jo Judah speaks in the plural. Here we are then, slaves of my Lord, the rest of us, as much as he in whose possession the goblet was found. But Joseph replied, Oh, far be it from me to act thus. Only he in whose possession the goblet was found shall be my slave. The rest of you go back in peace to your father. 
Alu Shalom El Avicham. We're going to talk more about that later. Um, that is really loaded, isn't it? Then, here's today's portion. Then Judah went up to him and said, Please, my Lord, let your servant appeal to my Lord, and do not be impatient with your servant, you who are the equal of Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, this is all Judah talking. My Lord asked his servants, have you a father or another brother? We told my Lord, we have an old father, and there was a child of his old age, the youngest. His full brother is dead, meaning Joseph, who is with them in the room, so that he alone is left of his mother and his father dotes on him. And then you said to your servants, bring him down to me that I might set eyes upon him. We said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave him, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, do not let me see your faces. When we came back to your servant, my father, we reported my Lord's words to him. And later our father said, well, go back and procure some food for us. And we answered, we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother is with us can we do, go down, for we may not show our faces to the man unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, as you know, my wife bore me two sons, but one is gone from me. And I said, alas, he was torn by a beast, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me, quoting Jacob, if you take this one from me too, and he meets with disaster, you will send my white head down to Sheol in sorrow. Now Judah's talking again. Now, if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, since his own life is so bound up with the boy, when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will send the white head of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in grief. Now your servant, me, has pledged himself for the boy to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, I shall stand guilty before my father forever. Therefore, please let your servant remain as a slave to my Lord instead of this boy and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father unless the boy is with me? Let me not be witness to the woe that would overtake my father. This impassioned speech pours out of him. Let's go on. Joseph could no longer contain himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone withdraw from me. So there was no one else about when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. His sobs were so loud that the Egyptians could hear. And so the news reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph said to my brother, I am Joseph. Is my father still well? Haod Avi Chai still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dumbfounded were they on account of him. So then Joseph said to his brothers, Yeshuna. Vayigash, Geshu, approach me. And when they came forward, he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Yes, Joan said, this segment always chokes me to tears every time. It is the most personal and an emotional piece of Torah for me. For me too, Joan. I am your brother Joseph, he whom you sold into Egypt. Yeah, that's why I'm reading it. Now, do not be distressed or reproach yourselves because you sold me hither. It was to save life that God sent me ahead of you. It is now two years that there has been famine in the land, and there are still five years to come in which there shall be no yield from tilling. God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his household and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, 
Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You will dwell in the region of Goshen where you will be near me. You and your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all that is yours. There I will provide for you. For there are yet five years of famine to come that you and your household and all that is yours may not suffer want. You can see for yourselves and my brother Benjamin for himself that it is indeed I who am speaking to you. And you must tell my father everything about my high station in Egypt and all that you have seen and bring my father here with all speed. With that, he embraced his brother Benjamin around the neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them and only then were his brothers able to speak with him. <sighs> so this is one of the most um, powerful moments. I'm sorry, I got distracted. There were voices in the hallway. Yeah, it's just worth reading, isn't it, Naomi? Now, there are many literary threads that get tied together here, which we'll talk about, but I just want to stay with this emotion. Judah reaches in and, as one writer said, takes the stone off Joseph's heart. That's a beautiful way of putting it, isn't it? Um, which allows Joseph to respond from his deepest place. And the, hold on one second. Thanks. <clears throat> so Judah and Joseph reach each other. Now there are two different, at least two, different ways that this gets read. Was Joseph's testing of Judah and his brothers, was Joseph, if Joseph was doing this consciously, then Joseph was testing to see whether his brothers would actually do teshuva would actually uh, rep repent, um, uh, uh, express regret and repair what had been done to him. And teshuva is the process of acknowledging what you did, apologizing for what you did, and then making amends and not doing it again, right? So, on one, on one story, Joseph has been waiting for this moment to see whether his brothers had indeed fully repented. Judah rises to the occasion. And we can read it this way because, interestingly, the Joseph saga begins in chapter 37, Joseph and his brothers. And if you recall a couple of weeks ago, there's this break in chapter 38, where, which is all about Judah losing his sons, his own sons, and then acknowledging that he's in the wrong in preventing Tamar from marrying his third son. It's a profound transformation Judah goes through as someone who starts to understand what it means, who deeply understand what it means to lose a son, and then also to behave immorally and unethically to try to protect his family. Um, so Judah, Judas, who initially said, hey, let's not kill him, then blood will be on our hands. Let's just sell Joseph, put Joseph in this pit and then sell him to these traders as a slave. That was Judah's great solution as a young man 20 years earlier. And then he then deceives his father 
by bringing his to Joseph's torn cloak back covered with goat's blood and says, do you recognize these? When in the next chapter, when, Ju when Tamar confronts Judah with his own staff and seal and says, do you recognize these? It's one of those brilliant literary moments in Torah where you can picture Judah now that, now that the tables have turned saying, oh, and that's what I did to my father. So Judah goes through a, a, a period of moral growth in the course of his lifetime. There's a famous Jewish saying that where the, where the repentant one stands, the fully righteous can never stand. In other words, if someone has never done wrong, they don't really understand what it means to do wrong and then to figure out how to do right and to learn and grow in that way. And so Judah is a beautiful example in the Torah of even possibly even more than Joseph of a character who grows as an arc of maturation and moral growth to the point where in this situation, he says, I cannot let this happen. Take me instead. Something about that takes the stone off Joseph's heart. Or in another famous midrash, Joseph is, it's a beautiful, talk about um, psychological imagery. In this one, Judah is compared to a person who is stuck in a well. And Joseph is. And Judah lowers a rope to him so he can pull him up really a beautiful midrash of um, finding a person where they're lost and unable to find themselves. So we don't know whether Joseph was doing this consciously, this testing process, or unconsciously. Regardless, it's a test. And Judah rises to the occasion and gives Joseph, again, in therapeutic terms, if Joseph was doing was not up to his consciousness yet, uh, this reenactment of trauma, then he's still trying to set up a situation where finally it will be resolved in the way we hope things will be resolved. Um, and Judah provides that uh, reaching into him so that he can finally break the dam of his trauma and say, it's me. Blaise says, amazing grace. Yes, there's an element of grace here. Now, one can also argue pretty convincingly that Joseph has also gone through a profound process of his life, which is reaching the point where he is ready to forgive his brothers and say to them, you may have thought me harm, but somehow there is a greater plan to my life and to our lives. And God is, God is, we don't understand everything that's happening, but God somehow meant for me to be here at this moment so I could save your lives and the lives of so many others. So Joseph has done this amazing, again, life thing, which we all hope to do in our lives, which is he's given meaning to his struggles and to his suffering. So Joseph represents that aspect of growth where all this crap happens to us. And rather than remain permanently victimized by it, he looks at his life and he says, no, there's a reason I'm here and a purpose. And it's quite inspiring. Uh, so both Judah and Joseph have each lived their lives in a way that thank God allows them to um, break through in this astonishing chapter. On the other hand, we could argue that Joseph is still Joseph. I mean, look at what he says. Let me just share this again. Joseph, um, Joseph may have understood that somehow God intended this for good, but what's his message to his brothers? Um, Let's see, I love this. Um, God has sent me ahead of you to ensure your survival on earth and to save your lives in an extraordinary deliverance. 
So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, Lord of all his household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? And then he says, thus, hurry back to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. Um, and you'll dwell in Goshen and you'll be near me. And you can see from yourselves that it is I who am speaking to you. And you must tell my father everything about my high station in Egypt and all that you have seen and bring my father here with all speed. I've never really read it this way before, but it's sort of staring in the face because I want Joseph to be, you know, the hero. He is the hero, but he's, doesn't he sound like the same Joseph? Well, remember, remember his beginning of the story, Naomi? Um, he says, you all bowed down to me. I'm my father's favorite. Da, 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 da. So ironically or whatever, or, or in the literary sense, beautifully, he's still the same guy. But he has put himself in service. He has understood that there's a greater purpose to his life. But humility, I don't know, <laughs> especially around his brothers. Yes, he may have grown, but he's still human. But that's part of what I love about it that I'm reading in it today. We're still ourselves. But what do we do with ourselves? And how do we, how do we assign the story of our lives meaning, you know, but he's still so much himself. Um, Judah, on the other hand, uh, yes, uh, the quintessential youngest child, privileged attitude. Judah, on the other hand, seems to have transformed in a different way. And by the way, the Midrash, the traditional commentaries see this and they say, that's why Joseph is second in command in Egypt, but Judah will become the scion of the kings of Israel. There's something about Judah here that exceeds Joseph, even. And that's why, they, that's why most of the commentaries give Judah the agency in this story. That Judah approaches Joseph ready to lose his life, ready for anything. And because of that, he reaches in and pulls Joseph out of that pit. Um, Nomi says, it's great to see because he's fully of himself and needing acknowledgement. So it's vulnerable in a way. And yet he is of service now. Yes, there's no reason for us to get down on Joseph in this moment. He's Joseph. Like, you gotta love him. You know, he's, that's, that's my brother. You know what I mean? If we reach that point where we're not reactive anymore, and Judah's not being reactive anymore, Judah doesn't want to kill him. It's like, and uh, right, Joseph was done to, but Judah does. Joseph acts courageously. All true. I am not. I'm. I'm reflecting on all. I hope you hear how. I'm not trying to give a single description to this. Um, just how rich it is. So let me take a little digression, not a digression, a little back, back up a little, because it's so interesting about the brothers speaking to each other. And I wanna look at this phrase. So then they embrace and weep. Only then could they speak with him. Now, that may be, that is clearly from this chapter because they were like, their jaws were on the floor, right? While they tried to, uh, while they tried to um, assimilate what was happening to them, that this was actually their brother. So that is great in terms of the story. But the first time we hear about they were unable to speak with him is in the very beginning of the story. I, I'll just read it to you. Well, no, let me put it up. Uh, okay, don't get dizzy. Okay. 
Israel loved Joseph best of all his sons. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him. They could not speak a friendly word to him. Okay, so there's that phrase again. They couldn't speak to him. And this word shalom is very important in the story. So let's talk about shalom for a minute. Shalom means peace, well-being, and completeness, wholeness. So remember, there are 12 brothers here. They are the children of Israel. They are the signs of the zodiac. They are the months of the year. They are, if they could all be together, there would be shalom. Right? And they're in never once until this, this moment is there that shalom, that completion, that harmony. Oh, shalom also can mean harmony. Uh, as in, you know, yeah, same concept of, of everything resonating together. Uh, so they couldn't speak to him, shalom, And then a few verses later, you know, they hate him even more. And... Israel says to Joseph, your brothers are pastoring at Shechem. Come, I will send you to them. And he answered, Hineni. And Jacob said to him, go and see how your brothers are. Lechna re'e et shalom achecha. The well-being of your brothers. So there's that phrase again. We're going to hear it over and over in this story. And bring me back a davar, just a word. He's not going to get that word. Jacob is not going to get that word for 20 years. And there will be no shalom, no wholeness in his family. The next time uh, we hear about this um, is in chapter 43. Okay, again. Eight. Well, that's a long chapter, 41. Forty-two. Okay. The end of the chapter. So now they're meeting him. When Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts they had brought with them from into the house, bowing low before him to the ground. He greeted them and he said, How is your old father? Is, is he Shalom? Who you said, is he still alive? And uh, they replied, It is well with your servant, our father. He is still alive. So that's the next time we hear shalom. Um, he may be alive, but he's not well. Uh, it's only when Judah will reveal that their father will die of grief Everything is not well. Everything is not whole. Everything has been broken since Judah suggested they sell Joseph into slavery and tell their father that he was torn by a wild beast. Nothing has been shalom. Okay, and this is the word that comes over and over through this. The next time we see it is in chapter 44. Judah replied, Manidaber, what can we say to my Lord to prove our innocence? Uh, here we are then, your slaves. And Joseph says, 
Oh, far be it from me to act thus. Only the one who has the goblet shall be my slave. Atem alu shalom el avichem. You guys, you can go in shalom back home. And those are all the predecessors uh, to this verse. Sorry. Um, where we were. He kissed all his brothers and he wept with them. And after that, his brothers could speak with him. So my take today, as I was doing my close reading of the text, is that shalom represents this peace, harmony, family wholeness, a moment of shlemut, of real completion, which had been absent for 20 years. And they had been seeking, Jacob sent Joseph to seek out the shalom of his brothers and bring back word. 20 years later, that's partly why this is so dramatic. They have achieved wholeness. They're all 12 there hugging and crying and kissing. So that brings me back to what I was thinking about at the very beginning of talking which is that, let's connect that to now. Each of us, our own now. And think about Judah's willingness to sacrifice, to protect his family, to do anything to make sure his father's okay, to uh, risk his life in approaching the throne. What's, of course, this is a famous story, so it's very dramatic. We don't necessarily need to have that kind of drama. I keep thinking of the supermarket as the place that is the most mundane in every day of our experiences these days. And what would it mean to approach people in line with that fullness and intention? What it means today to try to keep the fabric of our society, which is torn. How can we create shlemut? How can we affect any kind of shalom in our orbit. That's what I was thinking about. I think that's one of our jobs. You know, Tikkun Olam speaks to a broken world. The world is in shards. And our job is to somehow create, recreate, re wholeness. And uh, it, it may be a task that's like, uh, you know, emptying the ocean with a tablespoon, but that's our task. And in this beautiful, in a grocery, you probably get tackled or arrested. This is not a physical approach, Joan. This is when I say to the cashier, what kind of day are you having? And I mean it. Um, we have to be the ambassadors of shalom these days as our, what one of the main things we can do. Yes, we should organize. Yes, we should vote. Yes, we should. Yes, we should. Yes, we should. I think prior to all that, we need to be ambassadors of shalom. That's what I was thinking about the last couple of days. That creates the web 
of wholeness and the sense of a harmony that everyone is missing these days. And it can be a fleeting moment, but that's how I've been thinking about Judah and this portion today. And of course, you'll hear me talk about this more on Shabbat. And there's a beautiful Hasidic teaching where, and again, I've written about this, so this will be familiar to you, some of you. Share my screen again. Yes, Deborah said, at least in part, Joseph was able to open to his brother after he saw his courage and generosity. Mm -hmm. And it may not have been a conscious decision by Joseph. It's, a, it's, it's, the, it's just how we, how we roll as human beings. And Joan said, that moment when they can hug and kiss is remarkable. Families who differ and fight often never find their way back let alone acknowledge and show true return to affection. I know it's happening everywhere. My primary mitzvah, says Joan, is to be kind. My solution to this COVID isolation is to offer kindness and greeting with a smile. Yes, Joan, me too. Speaking to the cashier and saying, you matter. Naomi saying, I had a spiritual teacher who taught about making each person stay brighter because we interacted with them each person whom we came in contact with throughout any day. Simple and takes mindfulness and kavanah. It also takes the sense that we matter, that what we do matters. And for that, there's this really brilliant uh, um, word play at the beginning of Vayigash. There it is. Vayigash elav Yehuda. Judah approached and said, be Adoni, which means please my Lord. But because in the Torah, there are no vowels, remember no vowels in the Torah scroll, it can be read as be Adonai. What does that mean? God is in me. So Judah recognizes his fundamental parity and worth with whoever he's approaching, regardless of whether that person's on the throne or in the gutter. God is in me, God is in you. But if Judah can't see that God is in me, um, then Judah doesn't have the power, the, the, the sense of this matters. I'm a representative of God. I represent the divine attributes. I represent the best in people. I represent my aspirations, right? I too. So by saying God is in me in that brilliant word play, uh, it speaks both to Judah's willingness to step up to the throne as an equal. He's gonna reach into this potentate's heart because he knows that this person is, no, is a human just like him. But it also, and it also speaks to his acknowledgement of his own divine nature. And then the teacher who, who offered this, and I think, it, I'm, I think it's in the Svat Emet, I'm not sure, takes note that the name Yehuda, take the Dalit out, and what have you got? Yod, hey, vav, hey. So it's just brilliant, a brilliant Torah jujitsu there uh, move to say that not only does God is in me, Yod, hey, vav, hey is, is actually in Judah's name. So it's just a beautiful, beautiful teaching. Um, is that what allows Judah to know that his actions matter? that he knows that he is also made in the image of the divine. Joan says, doing this even when people are gruff or even mean, that's truly a gift to humanity. And Gail said, and offering shalom from the heart changes the interaction and connects us and sustains and heals us, not just the other. Immediately, we all know that's true in our bodies. 
we are the beneficiaries of our own righteous intentions. So this story is just such a beautiful Torah for this moment for me, any moment. And when I said at the beginning that I, we've never been able to guarantee the future. And in my own perception, I've never been in a time where I feel less powerless than I do now to impact the forces at work in the uh, global, uh, atmospherically and societally. I'm looking at that. It's like, these are situations beyond my control. And I don't say that as a victim. I'm trying to see reality. There are, there are giant waves crashing on my shore. What do I do? Well, of course I swim the best I can, but what I can do is approach each person as an emissary of shalom. And that takes courage and it takes compassion. And I think it's what I can offer all of us at this time so that we, so that in the day-to-day -day living we do, we're remaining true to that best part of ourselves, despite everything that's going around us that's beyond our control. And we can turn that to our families. That doesn't mean we can fix them. We can't fix our families either. Darn. We can offer our shalom, our wholeness, our sense, the heart sense that I'm you, you're me, I reach into you, you reach into me. Offer it and offer it again and offer it again. Yeah, we can only fix ourselves and that's sometime. So I want to be as thoroughly honest as I can, as I can be. I'm plumbing my own dismay at the world I'm living in today and my own shock and my own everything. But still that doesn't change what we can offer to the world. Barbara says, I think it's easier to forgive when you're a position of strength, right? Yes, God is our true strength, but why did Jacob's brother come to meet him with 400 men? It's interesting you say that. Yes, Judah is definitely coming from a place of strength. Naomi, thank you. Have a beautiful day. Um, Judah is definitely coming from a place of strength. What Jonathan Sachs says in his commentaries is that the difference between what's happening with Joseph and Judah and the brothers now versus what happened with Jacob and Esau. And again, this isn't the answer, but I found it very compelling. Is that Jacob was terrified of Esau and so was sending gifts ahead to appease him. And appeasing someone is not the same as reaching into their heart. And so an argument can be made that Jacob and Esau are a step towards restoring familial wholeness. But as we know, they don't live together. Jo Jacob dissembles and heads off in another direction. They've made, they've made peace with a small P. They buried the hatchet. Whatever they did, did this. But there's some kind of deeper reconnecting and healing that we could argue is going on now where at the end of the book of Genesis because I see the entire book of Genesis as a narrative arc as you've heard me teach that begins about about siblings that begins with Cain and Abel. Abe, Cain is jealous of Abel his face falls, dad doesn't love him. And so he kills his brother 
and then he lies about it. What happens with Joseph and his brothers? They don't kill him. They almost kill him. They throw him in the pit. They lie to their father. But at the end of their story, they didn't kill him. And so there's an opportunity to make right. And they do. And so when Joseph says, I will take care of you, he's answering when God says, where's your brother Abel? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Joseph answers the question at the end of the book. Um, I really do see that literary thread. I'm not, I'm not pulling that out of thin air uh, at all. I've thought about this a lot. So um, uh, it's quite beautiful. Deborah said, also, we need to be open to kindness and generosity when we encounter it. Thank you. Yes. Blaze says Esau is more authentic, more integrity, maybe. Maybe, I don't want to focus in on that story. I just brought it up to show this particular teachings, Rabbi Sachs's teachings about how maybe the peace that Jacob and Esau um, establish is not, is not as um, heart-centered as this revelation where Judah has reached in, and again, in that metaphor, lifted the stone off Joseph's heart without expectation. In fact, with a willingness to actually become his slave out of his concern for his own father. Uh, yes, uh, Moses and Aaron seem to have a relationship that is harmonious. And we've talked about that before, that maybe the book of Genesis, this narrative arc, allows us to humanity represented in the story of the children of Israel allows humanity to progress to this moment when brothers are partners rather than rivals because that appears to be Moses and Aaron's relationship isn't that beautiful that allows them to lead the nation out of bondage as they each fulfill their role okay Thank you so much. That's what I wanted to share today. I'm going to...